Well, if you want to turn to the familiar story in Matthew chapter 1, we're going to begin a series uh, that we're going to just call Characters of Christmas. And that sounds simple and straightforward enough. We're going to just go through uh, some familiar characters as, that, that are part of the Christmas story as we count down uh, the birth of Christ together. And so we're going to begin this morning talking about Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. You know, you think about Mary and Joseph and the fact that, uh, you know, they were, Scripture tells us they were uh, betrothed or pledged to be married. Uh, and it, it sort of humanizes the story for us a little bit, doesn't it? When Michelle and I were dating, her parents lived and worked at Latham Springs. And uh, that's a Baptist camp uh, around West Texas. And uh, we, would, we would visit them. When we were in college, we would visit them. Uh, on the weekends, and we would uh, just enjoy, you know, the, where that's located, just all the nature and uh, just where it was at. We would walk around on the trails, we'd walk by the lake, we'd sit by the fire at night, and I even had a little house there that uh, Michelle's youngest sister called the Mat Cave, and uh, no one else really stayed there most of the time, and so that was the place that I stayed when I went, when it was available. And, and so we made some neat memories out there. And... Uh, I remember one memory I have that will forever sort of stick in my mind was we were, uh, her and, and, and I and her family were sitting by the fire and, and one by one everybody started getting up and walking inside. And as, as we're sitting there, uh, eventually it becomes where it's just Michelle and, and myself. And, and I don't know what brought the subject up. I'm fairly certain Michelle was the person that instigated it. But it was the first conversation we had about the possibility of, of getting married. And uh, I knew in my mind that following college, I was probably going to go to seminary. I'd, I'd submitted to that dreadful truth. Uh, it, was, it was, to me at that time, it was kind of scary and dreadful. But I sort of submitted to that, and, and I didn't know what that would look like, and, and if marriage would come before that or after that. And, and that was the first time she said, well, you know, if, if that's what you feel like you need to do, then then I'm fine, you know, getting married before then and, and being the person that has a job and sort of, uh, you know, kind of doing what Presley does for EJ and making sure you can get through that and, and holding, holding things together financially. And, you know, I knew that she liked me until that point. But, but when she said that, I thought, okay, she's really committed to me. Like, this is a for real thing, isn't it? You know, it's, it's hard uh, to think about when we think about marriage and, and uh, what that involves. For, for many of us, it, it appears, or, or to many others, it appears like it's the spur-of-the-moment decision. But in reality, it's something that I think happens, or, or it's a decision that we come to throughout the course of our life. And it's based on uh, what, we've, what we've come to believe ourselves about marriage and what it's supposed to look like. Emily asked me the other day, she said, Dad, what do I do if I want to get married and I can't find anybody with my last name? And I wanted to say, well, I guess you can't get married, honey. But I said, well, usually what happens is, is the girl changes her last name to the boy's last name. And this was just news to her. Her face just, what? No way! He's, I want him to change his last name to my last name. And I said, well, baby, if you're going to be happy, you might need to find a guy that's willing to do that for you. 
because she just might insist on that. But I think as the years pass, she will probably soften on that. She'll change her views regarding that. And, and who knows, maybe she'll at least be willing to hyphenate her name like some of the people do today, you know. Uh, and I thought about this week how, how you come to decisions like this, as I've thought about Mary and Joseph. And, and it's a decision that we come to over time through watching our parents, through looking at people that we know that are older than us as we get older that get married, through sort of imagining, even at seven years of age, what, what that might look like. Is it something we're going to do? Is it something we're not going to do? I remember telling my grandmother when I was about Emily's age, I, I told her that I was never going to get married. And, and of course, you know, as grandmothers do, she said, well, okay, that's all right. And, and I got a little bit older and I realized, well, I'm, I might get married, you know, it I, seems like a lot of people do, so I might get married. And so I told her that, I said, well, I might get married, but we'll just live with you for the rest of our lives. And to a seven-year-old, that sounded normal, that, that sounded right. But as you get older, your ideas about that change, and uh, at some point, it seems rash and it seems sudden, but, but at some point, you make that decision. But it comes from a lifetime of sort of thinking about that and, and molding it around in your mind. As we turn our attention to Joseph today, uh, he has this commitment to Mary that is that's unlike any of the commitments any of us that are married have made. Because he comes to this commitment following a dream that he has where, where an angel tells him that he needs to marry her, even though he had changed his plans and, and was not going to. And, and I recognize that, in a sense, that's very different from any of the commitments that any of us have made in marriage on one hand. But on the other, that commitment that he makes, the commitment that he finally decides to, to follow through with, is based on his understanding of a God that he'd known his whole life. Of, of a God that, that his ancestors had made a covenant with. A God that he knew and, and a God that he trusted. And so really it was a decision that was made even before it was made because not of, of, of what he knew about Mary or what he thought or what he feared, but because of what he believed about God. And I think the dream that he had was powerful, and I think that was part of it. But even beyond that, it was this conviction that the God that was behind the dream, this is what God wanted him to do. And so this morning, for Joseph and for us, as we think about this story, I'm going to read to you, to you a moment. What you do, what we do, and what Joseph does, reflects what we believe. Look at Matthew chapter 1 with me. Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophets. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and took Mary home as his wife, 
But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. And he did it because he believed that this is what God wanted him to do. What he believed affected what he did. That's true for him in many ways. It's true for us in many ways. I think the first way that we see it's true, that it's true for Joseph in the way that he treats Mary. What you believe affects the way that you treat others. And Joseph demonstrated this not only in the way that he treated Mary after the visitation of the angel and, and, and the revelation that he was going to have to marry her, but even before then. In verse 19, it says, Joseph was faithful to the law, not wanting to disgrace her, but planned to put her away, planned to divorce her secretly. Faithful to the law in verse 19. Is, it, it, it may be translated differently if you have a different translation. It may say just. Joseph was a just man. And I like that translation better because I feel like faithful to the law is, is really an understatement in this situation. He was, he was really over and above the law. He was just. I'd say he was even merciful. When we think about Joseph and Mary and their engagement or their betrothal, uh, what we think about modern engagements. And when we're engaged, we know that it's a, a pretty big step in a relationship. Uh, if you are to break an engagement or if you were to be unfaithful to the person that you're engaged to, that is frowned upon, that's immoral. But there's really no legal obligation there, right? You've not made it legal, you've not uh, gone to the church or gone to the courthouse, no one has signed the marriage certificate, and so there's really no legal ramification there. But that's not the way it was for Mary and Joseph. This, this state that they were in, this betrothal, had legal implications. And to break it, to break it off would have been uh, really equivalent of them having to go through a divorce. After Michelle and I graduated, we had three weeks, before we graduated college, we had three weeks before we were supposed to be married. And so we were kind of in limbo. And, and I remember having, you know, we had, were leasing, in, we had an apartment, we were renting an apartment, uh, we had a joint bank account. We had bills already that were kind of coming in, but we weren't married. We weren't living together. And, and so it was kind of weird that, you know, in, in some ways we were. All these other things about us were married, but we also weren't. And, and I just remember thinking this is kind of a weird state to be in. And, and if something would have happened, if, if for some reason I would have just decided I didn't want to get married, well, there would have been some, some problems with that because we kind of arranged our lives already to be prepared to be married. But legally, there wouldn't have been a penalty. And in Mary's day, in Joseph's day, the engagements that they had really were a lot shorter than ours. They were uh, not near as long, and, and they didn't have the dating phase that we have. So, so things went a little bit differently. Sometimes during that engagement time during that betrothal time, people would find reasons that they didn't want to get married. Usually it was the men, you know, and think about when you're, when you're dating someone and all the things that go into deciding whether or not you want to continue to be with that person. Maybe that person snorts when they laugh, you know, and you just can't handle that. That's a deal breaker for you. Or maybe they smack when they eat. Any smackers in here? Maybe, maybe that's a note of contention in your marriage or or maybe they just, you know, have, have a funny look on their face when they wake up in the morning and, and you know, it's, it's annoying and uh, whatever it might be. 
during the dating phase, people sort of weed those things out. But, but often in, in, in Mary and Joseph's day, it was during this betrothal time when people decided, or men mostly decided, hey, I don't want to be with this person because she burns the toast or whatever. I don't know, whatever it might be. And, and they would break that off. And to protect the women, they had to go through an actual divorce and, and pay back the money and, and, and provide a written certificate. And it was really to protect the female. And so in this situation, when it appears that, that Mary has been unfaithful and, and she's uh, you know, pregnant before her and Joseph have, have been together, to say that Joseph was faithful to the law and, and wanting to do things right and not make a big scene and to do it quietly, that's, that's an understatement. That's an act of mercy. And I find it interesting, you know, we don't, we don't have any record to, of the things that, that Joseph and Jesus may have talked about, but I find it interesting that, that Jesus, the earthly son of Joseph, showed this same thing when, when he ate with sinners and he ate with tax collectors and he associated with prostitutes. He, he demonstrated by the way he acted that he, he believed in something that was bigger than just what he was legally obligated to do. Over our Thanksgiving break, our family took a trip to Six Flags uh, Monday and Tuesday. And this was Emily and Luke's first time to go. And uh, they got to do every single thing that they wanted to do. And they got to do it more times than I wanted to do it. And, uh, but they had a great time. It was a lot of fun. And uh, the end of Tuesday night, they, they really ex they extend the park hours during the holiday season. At the end of Tuesday night... Uh, Emily had, had just zeroed in on this one ride that she loved. It was the, the Conquistador, the boat, you know, it rocks back and forth and makes you seasick. And, and she wanted to continue riding that over and over. And so I told her I would ride it with her one last time before we left. And as we're boarding the, the boat, the Conquistador, uh, this, this little girl is, is at the entrance. And I just overhear a conversation between her and a group of adults. And the little girl is about six years old and she's crying. And, and what had apparently happened was this little girl had gotten out of line and, and gone to the bathroom or something and then wanted to get back in her spot. Well, this, this group of adults was just emphatic that, that she couldn't do that. And she had cut in line and, and now that she needed to go get into the back of the line. And, and I heard them say, it doesn't matter how old you are, if you get out of line, you lose your spot. And, and that's the rule, I guess. I mean, to be fair, that's, that's the rule, regardless of what your age is. What you do reflects what you believe, what you believe about what is really important. When that one person in your family that loves to pick a fight targets you for, you know, during a holiday meal or something, do you respond? Do you let it get to you? Or do you say, you know, I, I believe in something different, something bigger that's, that's going to control my actions? When your spouse has done something wrong, do you keep bringing it back and you keep throwing it in their face? Or because of your faith in a God that forgives not seven, not 70, but 70 times 70, do you forgive? What you believe impacts what you do. That's true in regards to the way we treat others, and it's true in regards to how open we are to God in our lives. You imagine how open Joseph had to be to, to receive what he did from this angel. He initially treated Mary pretty gracious in his plan to divorce her because of what he believed about God. But then it was because of what he believed about God that he was willing to reconsider this. 
In verse 20, this angel, it says, an angel appeared to him in a dream and it instructed him. The angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Now, it's interesting in the Bible, when angels appear to people, they often say, don't be afraid. You remember when the angel appears to the shepherds? We'll talk about that in a few weeks. And in the King James, there's that familiar language. Fear not, for I bring you glad tidings of great joy, right? He tells Mary the same thing. Do not be afraid, for you are highly favored. But he tells Mary and he tells the shepherds not to be afraid because they've just seen an angel for crying out loud. That's why they're afraid. But he tells Joseph, don't be afraid. Not because Joseph is freaking out because he saw an angel. He says, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. And I think it's very possible that Joseph might have been even more afraid to take Mary as his wife than of the fact that he was in the presence of an angel. That's a lot of fear. And to be sure, there were a number of reasons Joseph could have and should have been afraid to take Mary as his wife. I mean, for one thing, she's pregnant. And he's going to sign up to raise a child that really isn't his. And he probably doesn't understand completely what it means that, you know, she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. What does that even mean? That's a pretty scary thing for any guy to sign up for. And then there was the social stigma that would be associated with that. You know, pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Yeah, right, Joseph. Come on, level with us here. How many people do you think believed him when he said that? Or, or as the text says, that he was the Son of God, that, that this, was, this was to fulfill prophecy. Come on, Joseph. Level with us. Be, be real about this. Any guy would have been afraid to be in Joseph's position. But the thing that opens him to do it, I don't think was just a visit from an angel, but it was his faith in a God that, that gave him this dream, that allowed him to have this dream. And, and told him to do this anyway. I can remember back in grade school when, uh, I, I really remember in preschool when I was taught my ABCs. And I remember seeing the big A and, and uh, touching it. It was, it was made out of sandpaper and it was really rough. And I, for some reason that just made an impression on me. And so you know how it goes. You, you learn the, the sounds of the letters. Uh, Luke is going through that right now in his preschool and, and he's, he's doing okay with it. A says ah and B says buh. And you, you learn all that. And then the next thing you know, I mean, before they even get to kindergarten, they start putting really simple words together like dog and cat and run. And then as they get a little older, they're taught that you take these simple little words, these three-letter words, and you put them together and you can make simple sentences. The dog runs, right? And it's amazing what we do with words. And now as adults, we don't even think about that. Whether we're writing a, sending a text or whether we're writing an email or whether you're EJ and you're typing a 50-page paper that's going to be academically you know, brilliant, uh, whatever that might be. And, and we do that without hardly even thinking, it, and it's, it's pretty amazing. But we're not able to do that without that basic foundation, without that simple knowledge of, of what we learned in preschool. And you don't even understand when you're learning that how that's all going to fit together. And I imagine as Joseph is being told by by the angel that he is supposed to to marry Mary, if you will, that that that's really all he kind of gets, is that he's supposed to do this, and somehow God's blessing is on it, and and there's no way he could have totally understood it. But then maybe as, as Jesus grew, maybe he had these words echoing in his mind, these words that the angel said that, 
that Jesus would save people from their sins. And, and as he watched Jesus grow, maybe he understood more and more, a little bit, what that might mean. And it's because he was open to God. And I think on some level, everybody understands that it's, it's at least important to be open to God. You know, at Christmas, uh, when Christmas things are going on, that is the time when people are open to going to church in, in ways. There's some people that only go to church on Christmas, and, and we hope that they might come and, and something might catch and they might come more regularly and, and, and be more connected to God as a result of that. And sometimes all it takes from us is, is hey, why don't you come to church? Why don't you come and, and see the pretty Christmas trees that we have up? Why don't you just come for, for a Sunday? And, and who knows what that might turn into? I think when we are, are thinking about ourselves and, and how we react and, and what we do, whether that's for another person or for ourselves or, or for our community or how we serve, uh, if we're just doing that because we feel like it's an obligation, it's not going to be something that lasts. But if we're doing it because we're truly open to how God is leading us, because we know the God that has led us to do that, that's what makes the difference. So how we treat others and our openness to God reflect what it is that we believe and these reflect just how committed we are to God. The range of your commitment, the, the extent that you're committed to Him, what exactly you are willing to do for God reflects what you believe. I was talking with, with someone about Black Friday shopping earlier, and I went, I went to Walmart for, on, on Black Friday for, I don't know if I've ever gone into a store on, on Black Friday. I, I avoid it. It's not something I really want to do or look forward to do to doing. Uh, but I did because maybe you heard Walmart had this deal and they were offering iPhones. Uh, and, and if you bought an iPhone outright, they would give you a $400 gift card. Now, being the frugal shopper that I am, I hardly ever upgrade my phone unless there's some kind of deal like this. It's, I've hardly paid anything for phones. That's sort of a, a, a point of pride that I take. And uh, but as, as iPhones or, or smartphones in general are becoming more in demand, uh, the cell phone companies are offering less incentives to get one because more people want them and they don't have to do that. And so these kind of deals are pretty rare. And so I found myself in Walmart on Black Friday and I'm standing in line at the electronics counter. And, and you know, that's never a quick process at Walmart. Uh, and, and I'm listening to people talk about this deal because I wasn't really sure how real it might be. And, and they're saying, yeah, it's a real thing, but what you have to do is make an appointment. And I thought, oh man, I don't want to do that. Uh, but you make an appointment to, to get it activated, and you come back whenever that appointment uh, is for. And so I thought, well, it's $400. We'll, we'll give it a shot. And so I wait in line, and, and I hear some more chatter. And they say, well, the appointments are booking out till Saturday and, and Sunday. And I think, well, that's not good, but as long as it doesn't interfere with church, I guess that's okay, you know. And so it finally, they finally get to me, and, and he asked me which phone I'm looking for, and I, and, and I tell him, and he says, well, we, we have some left, and we have some appointment spots open. And I think, oh, well, that's great. And he says, we even have some open today. But, you knew there was a but in this story, right? <laughs> you, knew, you knew the but was coming. But our Walmart in Gatesville doesn't activate phones through Sprint, which is the carrier that we use. So he says, you can go check another Walmart and Waco or Temple. And I thought about it. 
I mean, I really did. I, I thought about it, but then I looked around and I saw how crazy it was in Gatesville, and I thought it's going to be even crazier at those stores. And, and even if I call them and they say, yes, we, we have what you're looking for, by the time I get there, they, they may not. And then there goes a chunk of my day and, and what I have to show for it. And so I ultimately didn't go and I didn't do it, but, but I was tempted. And I was tempted because I believed there was at least a chance I could get that deal. I, I believed there was a possibility. You know, people have done crazier things for, for deals and, and other things, just, just chances at some things. There's a car dealership in, in Longview, Texas, and, and they have this contest called Hands on a Hard Body. Anyone heard of that? And people stand around a vehicle, and they put their hand on it. And, and that's, it just takes one hand, or maybe it's two, uh, but, but they put their hands on it, and that's the only rule. You can't sit down, and your hands have to be on it, and the last person standing wins. And, and the people just stand there, and they do it for days, and, and they get dehydrated, and they pass out from hunger. And you know, people are just crazy because they, they think, oh, there's a chance I can win this car. There's a chance there. I think it would have been easy for Joseph to sort of explain away this dream, don't you think? I mean, hey, that was, maybe I ate something weird last night. That was a weird dream. I don't think that has anything to do with God. It is tempting and it's easy to sort of rationalize our commitments to God because there's not always a tangible reward or even a chance of one sometimes. When Joseph woke up, he, it tells us in verse 24, he did what the angel commanded him and he took Mary as his wife. But he wasn't promised anything. I mean, he got to fulfill the greatest prophecy in the whole Bible. That's pretty cool, right? But he didn't get anything. There was no award, reward, or anything. But he's willing to go to these lengths, not because of what he got from God, but because of what he believes about God. And yeah, I know that he had this vision, from this, this dream, and an angel appeared to him, and we can kind of explain it like that. But I don't think it was just the dream. You know, I have weird dreams sometimes. I have this recurring dream that I get up to preach and, and just nothing comes out of my mouth. And that's sort of like the preacher's version of going to school or working your underwear, maybe. Or sometimes I get up to speak and, and I'm trying to quiet everybody down so we can start worshiping and everybody just ignores me and they keep going. I don't necessarily think that's something from God. Some of you might say, yeah, that's a message from God not to preach this long, but I don't think that's what it is. What you do reflects what you believe. And, and part of what Joseph did, part of what he did makes it possible for us to believe. And the only other time Joseph is mentioned in the Bible is when, Joseph is tw when, when Jesus is 12. And, and they go to the temple, do you remember? And, and his parents lose him. It's the only time Joseph is kind of mentioned. And, and the rest of the Bible doesn't say anything about him. And it, it's fun to think about what it might have been like and, and you know, picture him sitting at the table with Jesus and maybe leading Jesus and Mary in prayer or, or in studying Scripture and, and to think about how, how Jesus and Joseph interacted and, and did Joseph teach him carpentry? I mean, it's fun to think about all those kind of things. But Scripture just tells us one thing that Joseph did because of what he believed. This morning you came to church. That's, that's one thing. You're here. I think most of you, probably all of you, because of what you believe. That's why you're here. But what about outside of here? What about outside the walls of the church? What about that person who, uh, that you run into at work that just needs 
You know, just needs someone. Just needs empathy, maybe. Just needs compassion. Just needs mercy from you. What about that person you know that may not even be a believer, but is just different, kind of strange? What if that is also a thing that you engage with, a thing that you do because of what you believe? Maybe God is just saying to you this morning that you need to to say yes more or or, or to have more compassion or or to be more connected to a ministry in our church. I I don't know what it might be, but the question is, what do you believe? What do you really believe about God and how is that reflected in what you do? Let's pray together. Lord, as we think about Joseph and we think about just being in the situation that he was that is very unlike ours, God, we we also hopefully recognize that his situation was very similar to ours and that he was just given a task to do and and he did it based on on what he believed about you. And God, I pray people uh, here that, that are within the sound of my voice would would not just know that they believe, would not just know in their head what they think about God, but would have a faith that they live out because of what they believe. God, I pray that you would help us to do that, even if it means that we make personal sacrifices, even if it means that there may not be a a tangible reward, even if it means that some people might not understand what we're doing, Help us to be obedient to the ways that you lead us and guide us. And God, help us to trust that the God we believe in will see us through. And you'll be faithful to us as we strive to be faithful to you. We ask in Jesus' name.